0: Hello, I'm Anne Jones and you're listening to Off Track. This summer I'm playing some of my favourite programs from the last 12 months and today we're going to a very remote part of western Arnhem Land. It's a place called the Garigunak Balu National Park.
1: It's a hidden paradise, it's a treasure that we're hiding in our pockets.
2: The jewel in the crown of the national park system, I'd say in Australia, not just in the Northern Territory,
0: we're going to this Julua National Park to bring you an unusual story, actually, of an invasive species, the banteng. Banteng are a wild cattle that were brought to the NT from Southeast Asia in the eighteen hundreds. And despite the damage they do to the environment, the banteng have been welcomed by the traditional owners of the land, which means, globally, that the species survives. Georgia Moody takes us there. Do you mind
3: telling me the name of this place? Arwanyan. And round the point, you know, where the bunny bulldog. Is that the turtle dreaming? Yeah. This is Judith Cunningham. She's a traditional owner of this country, from the Agulda clan. It's low tide, and we're harvesting oysters. Arai. Arai. Yeah. That's the oyster? <laughs> Oh wow, they're big oysters. Yeah. We're in Garig Gunak Balu National Park on the Coburg Peninsula, a huge piece of land in northwestern Arnhem land that bends back towards Indonesia. This is the monsoonal tropics. There's eucalypt forests, billabongs, mangroves, and beautiful turquoise water full of crocodiles. Judith and her husband Fred are oh my guides up
1: here. Um, my name's uh, Frederick Baird. I'm connected to the Coburg Peninsula through my mother. My mother's country is on the western end of the peninsula, uh, The clan group called the Menaga Clan. The Coburg Peninsula, but as we like it to be called, uh, Garig Gunakbalu National Park, that's the Aboriginal name for it, is a very special place and it was the first jointly managed park with the traditional owners and the NT Parks and Wildlife Commission in the, of the Northern Territory.
3: The rock pools we're standing in right now are one of the reasons this park is so special. Gunak Balu National Park was the first place in the world to be declared a Ramsar wetland of international importance.
2: It's a Class 1 biodiversity park, first Ramsar site in the world. It's just got so many um, brilliant aspects to it. It's just an amazing place. Uh, pristine wilderness is beautiful. My name's Alan Withers. I'm the Senior District Ranger at Gurry Gwarnock National Park. Ramsar is the um, international uh, convention on wetlands. And the thing about Coburg, the definition of wetlands, includes the intertidal zone, and that's where the true value of Coburg comes in. You've got six species of marine turtle, dugong, dolphins, whales. Just an amazing amount of biodiversity in the marine environment and also in the terrestrial environment.
3: In the rock pools, we spot an animal that, for centuries, brought Makassan fishermen here all the way from modern-day Indonesia.
4: Oh, look. A tree pang.
1: A tree pang? Yeah.
3: Sea cucumber? Yeah. That's why the Macassans came here.
1: Yeah. Well, apparently this one we call it
4: Ningulayang.
3: Ningulayang.
4: Yeah.
3: But the oysters and sea cucumbers aren't the only attractions. I've come up here to find out about the banteng, a species of wild cattle from Southeast Asia. It was the British who first brought the banteng to Western Arnhem Land. In the 1800s, they made two failed attempts to establish settlements here on the Coburg Peninsula. Here's Alan.
2: They bought uh, animals across as beasts of burden and food sources. And when they abandoned the settlement, they just basically let the animals go. One of those animals was the bandhang, of course, but they also bought um, two more ponies and pigs and buffalo. So to this day, we still have all of those animals in the park.
3: So the banting is also known as the barley cow. Can you describe what it looks like for me?
2: Bosjuvanicus, is its classification. It's a standard-looking cow, except they have um, white socks and white
1: rumps. The male bantang are black, they've got big shouldered animals. And the rear end is white, so their bum has a big white circle on it. And the female Banting is a ochre brown, dead grass brown kind of colour with a white bum.
3: Banting are really shy. I'm up here for a week, and I only spot two the whole time. I didn't have my recorder with me, so unfortunately you won't hear me spotting a Banting in the wild. The other species the British introduced, like the buffalo, moved beyond the Coburg Peninsula. But the Banting stayed put, and they prospered. The most recent survey estimates there are 10,000 bantang in the National Park. And unsurprisingly, they have a significant effect on the environment.
2: The bantang have a major impact on the monsoonal vine thickets, some of the more sensitive uh, vegetation communities and basically they compete with natives for um, food, and that in turn then impacts on habitat for native species.
3: Corey Bradshaw agrees. He's Professor of Global Ecology at Flinders University, and he spent more than five years studying the Banting in Garig Gunak Balu National Park.
5: Like any hard hooved animal in Australia, it does cause quite a bit of compaction in the soil. Now, hard hooved what we call ungulates didn't evolve in Australia. So anything with hooves tends to cause quite a bit of damage to the soil. Think of of brumbies in the snowy mountains, for example. Uh, So they do cause some compaction. However, compared to the damage done by buffalo to wetlands in particular, uh, buffalo cause a lot of churning over of very sensitive soils. They wallow in these billabongs and they they spread all sorts of um, weeds around and they can just create uh, saltwater damage by intrusion of, like creating channels from saltwater to freshwater, whereas banteng are a little bit lighter on their feet and they don't quite cause the damage that buffalo do. As large animals go, I would say they're some of the least impactful in the country. But you do see you do see damage, you see browsing damage on the trees.
3: So not as bad as buffalo, but still not great. And yet, the traditional owners of this land don't think of the bantang as a pest.
1: They're an introduced species, but they're useful as a food source, so they're like any other native bush tucker that we have on the peninsula. The bantang, the buffalo, the pigs, everybody loves to eat them, and they're just part of the food chain at the moment. Yeah, the feral animals left by the British settlers today are are seen as part of the country today because they're, they're seen as a food source.
3: I've never heard people talk about cane toads or foxes like this. So Fred takes me to meet another traditional owner who agrees that the Banting are just as welcome as native animals.
4: I am Solomon Arioran Cooper. I am a Muran Senior Traditional Owner and a Chairman of the Board of National Park.
3: Do you mind telling me where we are now? Do you mind describing this place for me?
4: Yep, we are in a, uh, a place called Gulgul on Danger Point who bl- belongs to my great-grandmother, uh, the Ganjad clan group. Yeah, it's just relaxing and all that. You can just hear the ocean and sea breeze that hits the cashew um, tree.
3: What's that over there, son?
4: That's the sea eagle, what we call marawiti. And there's always a nesting ground here, and then you've got another lot where my camp is. And we respect them as well when we do, you know, a lot of fishing and all that stuff. We leave some fish back for them, and it's just a circle of life, you know. And you've got to respect, the, well, you got to respect the animals and the wildlife around you because we're living together as well, and they they look after this country as well when we're not around.
3: For Solomon. That respect for animals means you only hunt what you need to survive.
4: You don't hunt so much, like for hunting. Don't take too much. You take so much and you leave so much. So it's like a management. You can take so much fish. You can take so much eggs from a turtle. You can hunt a turtle or a jugo, but you don't take you know, that many. You hunt for a reason. You share what you get. But if you keep taking, taking, taking our land, what we call Mother Earth, she'll take that from you.
3: Are the bantang and buffalo and other introduced species, are they seen as warranting the same respect as native animals?
4: Oh, yeah, they do. No, they they are like part of the family, OK? They are part of country and they are part of the clan. So we treat them as same as any animals out here, even the, the turtles, the dugong.
3: The banting are also an important source of money for the traditional owners.
1: Here's Fred. The feral animals on the, on the Coburg Peninsula, like the buffalo, the Bantang, today they are used by safari hunting groups that have got concessions through the Coburg Marine Park Board which allow them to conduct hunts, to shoot the bantang. There's not too many jobs on the peninsula and the safari hunting business brings in some well-earned money for the local communities and the families.
3: And one of the two Indigenous-run hunting safaris is owned by Solomon.
4: This is the only place you can get in the world. Free wild bantang and the international market really wants to come over and hunt this beautiful animal, you know, and um, there's always a wish list for any hunters to shoot a Banting. My phone is full up with messages because they want to book their hunt.
3: But the safari hunting doesn't do much to control the Banting population, certainly not enough to combat the damage they do to the environment. So, about five years ago, the board and the rangers here at Gunak Balu agreed on a strategy to manage the herd. They fenced off one of the peninsulas in the park, which is also the visitor zone, and culled the ban
1: Concerns were raised a number of years ago and there was a feral animal fence put on the 20km mark of the road in to the Black Point tourist area so we're trying to keep the numbers to a low number if we could so feral animal culling was conducted in in that zone to hopefully eradicate the animals from this part of the peninsula and get it back to how it used to be before but the animals find ways to get around the fence and and they're still here
3: yeah we saw a bantang last night
1: yeah we saw a big big bull Big bull, Bantang, a good trophy animal.
2: Yeah, the fence was put in, the limit numbers coming back into the stop section. It was good from the sense that it's the designated visitor zone and the safari hunters, obviously, the operations are not allowed to conduct their operations in the designated visitor zone, so there's no conflict um, in terms of income for traditional owners. We conducted in the wet season when there's no visitors here, of course, and the safari operations actually don't run in the wet season. So it, it didn't upset uh, any balance that's currently in place in terms of income, opportunities for traditional owners and visitors. So it was good.
3: I heard also, Alan, that you had to put up your own fence around your house to stop the banting from getting in <laughs> to your veggie patch.
2: That's a fact. Um, they come in and eat all the herbs. Um, so it's just a matter of, you know, all the years we've lived here, we've never shut the gate uh, but for the last 18 months, we've had to shut the gates, so we've got to keep them out, otherwise uh, we've got no chillies.
3: But not all of the traditional owners were happy about the cull. Yeah, my name is Heidi Millarmi. Heidi Millarmi Cooper. Can you tell me where we are now?
4: Yeah, this is Kamuragi upstate. And I live here all my life.
3: <laughs> like Solomon and Fred... Heidi says the Bantang are welcome here.
4: Yeah, they're all right, but they stayed here and they got more big and fat. they eating good grasses and all that. Yeah. But they used to shoot them. They came out here shooting them. Bantang, helicopter, flying around here shooting them.
3: What did you feel about that?
4: Upset. My mum started crying for them. She said the animals was here for a long time. When we were small, my mum was small.
3: Fred works as a park ranger, not here, but at Kakadu National Park, which is just down the road in Northern Territory terms. That complicates how he sees the Banting.
1: For me as a ranger in Kakadu, I've got an employee's firearms licence, so I do shoot pigs and buffalo where it needs to be done, and as a, as a food source as well, but mainly... To protect the tourists that are driving along the highways, because we're shooting animals that are on the sides of the roads, and it's a, it's a safety concern, and it's also an environmental concern too. That you know we're looking after, we're shooting all the pigs or the buffalo that are hanging around uh, a spring, so we're looking after that spring or that soak. So we go and shoot the animals, but. While I'm at work, I'm, I'm shooting these animals, and I've got the local truth owners, they complain sometimes. They don't want us shooting animals. They see them as their pets, so it's a bit hard for me. I like to listen to them because I'm an Aboriginal person too and I come from a national park, and when I'm at home, I like to have animals there as a food source and I don't like them being shot to waste because I, I don't like wasting. So. You shoot what you need to eat at the time. You totally see this issue on both sides. I do, I see the, I see the issue on both sides. You know, you've got to keep your traditional thoughts, but being educated as well, you, you're following the rules and you, you understand, you know, the park's view as well, but you've still got your traditional thoughts and you, you, your heart goes with the traditional way of thinking.
3: This herd of Banting are in a very unusual position. They're an invasive species that damage the environment and compete with native animals. But the traditional owners see them as part of the family and the hunting royalties they bring in help maintain the local indigenous communities. There's also interest in the Banting from beyond Australia's shores. Here's Corey Bradshaw again, professor of global ecology he spent more than five years studying the herd in Gari Gunak Balu, and that involved doing genetic tests on the Banteng.
5: Well, part of the question was whether these animals were purebred uh, or pure strain Banteng, or they had been mixed in with normal cattle, either Brahmins, Bos indicus, which many people, especially in, in northern Australia, will be familiar with. Or with um, just the normal Bos Taurus, the main cattle you see around Australia. So the, the purebred Banting is is called a Bos Javanicus So it's its own species. Uh, so it was a it was a sort of to see whether or not you know were these things worth saving because you know back up a bit, Bos Javanicus Banting in their native habitat, the pure strains are actually very endangered. So if we were going to eradicate this population in Australia, we wanted to make sure that they weren't actually valuable from a conservation perspective first.
3: The plan was straightforward, but it was harder than they thought to get genetic samples from the Banting.
5: The main thing we were trying to do initially was to get tissue samples and... um, we'd come up with this rather clever plan to buy a what's called a biopsy gun, which is essentially a dart gun that shoots a little dart with uh, a little biopsy sampler at the end. Shoots out of the gun, pops into the usually the back end of the animal, takes a little plug of tissue and then falls out on the ground and then you grab the fluorescent darts and then you take the little tissue sample and you stick it in some preservative, so for later genetic sampling. It turns out, though, that... Um, <laughs> when you do that, uh, about half of the darts just stuck in the bum of the animals as they ran away to fall out at some point in the future, which is probably several kilometres, if not farther away. So we'd never find the bloody things. Or because they, they're they easier to find at night with spotlighting, shoot them and then they fall out and they're not as fluorescent as, you, as they claim. And so we couldn't find them in the dark. <laughs> and on that bush floor, you know, anything drops that isn't glowing, essentially, isn't pretty much lost forever. So it took us a long time to figure out how to do it properly and we, we added fluorescent paint and we only, you know, shot them in the bum at certain places so we could guarantee getting them back. We eventually got enough, but it, it, was, it was a bit of a struggle at the beginning.
3: But all their work paid off when the test results finally came in.
5: When we looked at both the male-inherited characteristics and also the female-inherited characteristics, so different parts of the genome, we found pretty much zero trace of either indicus or taurus so the the brahmin or the the normal european cattle now we concluded at the time that that it didn't seem to have any what we call introgression that's a genetic term means the appearance of genetic material from another species in the one you're testing and that uh, was encouraging to suggest that in fact they are pure race wild bantang
3: that makes these animals internationally significant a herd of pure-strained banting, a species that's endangered in its home range in Southeast Asia. If that wasn't enough, the 10,000-strong herd is the largest group of wild banting in the world.
5: That's a fairly sizable population. Now, the genetic diversity is low, but it still represents one of the largest populations of the species in its entire distribution that's including of course its native distribution in south south asia so as i guess an insurance population against the extinction of the entire species it becomes actually a fairly important population and now i study extinction dynamics in across all of biodiversity, all species. And the the one thing that really guarantees reducing the risk of extinction is to have lots of sizable populations spread around a large range. So the more restricted your range and the fewer subpopulations you have, the more likely you are to go, go extinct. So in fact, this satellite population, which is not in its native range, obviously, represents a pretty strong insurance population against extinction.
3: There have been discussions about introducing Banting from the Northern Territory back into Southeast Asia, but so far nothing has happened. Here's what Corey thinks should happen to the Banting.
5: It's not my call, it's the traditional owner's call really, it's their land. I've given advice and I've done both the biological modelling, and I've done the genetics, I've done even economic modelling for the region, try to look at different ways to maximise all the benefits and to minimise all the, the disadvantages. And really the long story at the end, pretty much status quo. In other words, because Banteng don't seem to be causing a huge amount of damage, because people are getting some livelihood support from them, because they represent a conservation bonus, at least internationally, uh, and because they've kind of woven themselves into the social network that's there, I would say, you know, let sleeping dogs lie. That sort of argues for no massive management intervention, either eradication or any sort of conservation investment. It really is just keep things as they are, and I think you get your maximum benefits that way.
3: Solomon and Fred agree they don't ever want the banting to leave.
5: No,
4: it's not going to happen. Not till the day I die, it's not going to happen. With the banting, you need to manage them. We're doing a good favour for the other wildlife, you know, the bandicoot, the wallaby, bird life. The bantang will stay here and the numbers will be a good number. It's just managing.
1: I think the Aboriginal people on the peninsula today would jump up and down and scream and shout. and Not just because they, they're they a food source for us, but they're part of our lives today, and we live with them. They live with us. They're like pets. They're like our dogs. If somebody hurts our dogs, we cry for our dogs. And the, the wildlife in the park, they're our family as well. So that they'd be really upset if total eradication was talked about and animals were being shot just to get rid of them. It's a fine line looking after the country and the environment. You've got to shoot some and leave some. You've got to please some people and some people aren't so pleased, but you've got to move forward.
0: Frederick Baird, speaking there with Georgia Moody. Georgia also produced a documentary about this part of the world for the History Listen, Radio National's history program. It's about the history of the failed British settlement on the Coburg Peninsula. It's called Port Essington, World's End, and we've got the link on our website, abc.net.au slash offtrack. My name's Ann Jones, and remember, meet me here again next time so I can take you somewhere else.